Hello, I'm Helen McCabe from the University of Nottingham. Welcome to the Forced Marriage Research Podcast, where we explore concepts, contexts, and contemporary challenges. Welcome to episode two, where I'm joined by Dr. Hannah Baumeister, who's been working on the legal aspects of this project for the last 12 months. Um, and say sadly just coming to the end of her official time working on this grant in fact by the time this is released you won't be working with us at all which is really sad but also really good for you so congratulations officially um so one aspect of the work we've been doing on forced marriage and modern slavery is looking at how these two issues are connected in the domestic law of countries around the world and hannah you've been looking at and coding this legislation and i just wondered if first of all you could tell people who are listening a little bit about what that process has been sure so the legislation database that this work is going to be part of already exists and there might be another episode of the podcast on that so I'm not going to comment on mm-hmm. that. So what I've been doing is collecting legislation of all the UN member states and I've looked at government websites to find it or the ILO's database that features national laws Um If I couldn't find the sources on those websites, I've searched the internet for it. Um, More often than not, I could find a version of the legislation. Um, If I really couldn't access the piece of legislation itself, I looked at um, kind of supplementary sources like UN reports. um, Yeah. And then some of those sources were not in English. so (laughs) um, Or in German. Or in German or in French. So if it was not in any of those languages, I used translations that I could find or unofficial translations and some bits and pieces that really did not make sense after that anymore. We asked for for professional translation. And then when I had those, I looked through the different pieces of legislation to create codes or themes, if you want, um, by reading through the provision and kind of picking out the common strands. So there are codes related to age and gender, minimum age of marriage, forced marriage or different types of forced marriage, survey marriage, different penalties as well. And those are all recorded recorded in a code book where um, we explain them as well so that they become more understandable to other people as well. And then the coding happened in Excel. If you want, like we have columns with the different codes and then the rows with the different countries and the different pieces of legislation and the codes themselves are more often than not binary so if a code is present in a in in a provision it's a one otherwise it's zero and then some um, codes are numerical when it comes to age or um, length of prison sentences or something like that and then regarding the types of legislation I looked at I looked at um, constitutions criminal law civil laws or civil codes uh, marriage, family, personal status laws, laws around trafficking, um, laws related to children and domestic violence or violence against women as well. Amazing. And I think it's, it's really exciting as a piece of research because it's obviously research couldn't do without the internet. If we just tried to get a team of researchers who went to do field work in 193 UN member states and said, can I, can I see your laws? <laughs> just, I think it's really exciting um, that this is you know, one of the, so we could only do this in sort of like relatively modern times um, in order to, to be able to access all this information. 
in a like spoiler alert, you told me a little bit of the answers that you've that you found, and out of 193 UN member states, um, we know that 52 have criminalised forced marriage in a report already published by Walk Free, um, called Stacked Odds. Um, but given what we're interested in, particularly in our project, how many have you found where forced marriage is linked to or treated as some kind of slavery? Hmm. Before I answer that question on the accessibility of legislation, <laughs> I always think it's funny when law schools still have those big old bounded law reports in their libraries and are desperately trying to get students to work with them when they are old, so often not up to date anymore. And yeah. But then I remember like having to go to a library to look at journals that were paper copies, hardbound in leather books, and you could only access them by looking through a card index. Like just it's just a sign that we're really old. Um, countries that link forced marriage and modern slavery. So I have found four countries that in their national legislation see forced marriage as a form of slavery or a practice similar to slavery. And those are Australia, New Zealand, Nauru and Moldova. So to give you an idea of how they make that connection. So in Moldova, it's the penal code that criminalizes slavery and conditions similar to slavery. In line with the 1926 slavery conventions and also with the Bellagio Harvard guidelines, the law there understands slavery as a condition of ownership that is exercised over a person. And it highlights that that exercise of possessive control is supported by or obtained through deceit, coercion, violence or threat of violence. And it explicitly states that forcing a person to enter into or remain in a marital relationship is covered under the slavery provision. Importantly, that indicates that an understanding of forced marriage that is that goes beyond the act of forcing someone into marriage and indicates this continuous understanding um, of the crime of forced marriage which I think reflects the reality of many forced marriages um, much better than just thinking about it as this one-off act. Um, if we look at Australia, there's also the criminal code um, that covers slavery and slavery-like conditions. And under that category falls the crime of forced marriage. And it is defined as a non-conjugal, no, sorry, non-consensual conjugal association. And I use that term, it, do it doesn't kind of, that is not how the the legal definition defines it. That is a term that I use because the provision in Australia's criminal code covers a broad range of marriage or marriage-like relationships. So it covers marriages and re registered partnerships that were celebrated in Australia as well as abroad. But it also includes marriage relationships that are void, invalid or not recognized by law. If we look at New Zealand, again, the Crimes Act there criminalizes dealing in slaves, including, and I quote, giving in marriage or transferring a woman to another person without her consent for gain or reward. And it also criminalizes widow inheritance. And then similarly, um, Nauru's Crimes Act criminalizes dealing or permitting another to deal with a person as a slave, including sorry, and inducing a person to deal with themselves or another as a slave in exchange for material benefit, such as 
causing a person without their consent to marry another person or giving a person without their consent in marriage or as an inheritance. So there with New Zealand and Nauru, we already see that some countries make that connection between forced marriage, slavery, or practices similar to slavery, and servile forms of marriage. And some countries do not criminalize forced marriage itself, but they do criminalize servile forms of marriage, which are also forms of forced marriage. But I would argue that forced marriage is broader than just the three forms of servile marriage that are recognized in the 1956 Supplementary Slavery Convention. One country that does that is Bulgaria, where bride sale is a crime. If it is committed so against a woman and by her parents or relatives. And then apart further away from this fairly direct connection between forced marriage and slavery or slavery-like practices, there are countries that criminalize trafficking in people, but then they see forced marriage as a slavery-like practice or a form of exploitation for the purpose of which people are trafficked. So if you want, you have those that kind of three steps between forced marriage and the thing that is actually criminalized. And countries that do that are, for example, Croatia and Micronesia, Micronesia. And then we also have countries that put forced marriage and slavery or slavery-like practice in the same category of crimes. For example, they see both as offenses against personal freedom or liberty or against the family, public order or morality. And there's a whole range of countries that does that. Um, Australia, Portugal, Germany and Sweden, for example, see both as offenses against personal freedom or liberty. But they are, you already get the sense that the connection becomes kind of more and more removed, the connection between forced marriage and modern slavery. Um, Bulgaria, I already mentioned, this is an example of a country where bride sale falls under the country category of offenses against the family and public order and morality. Luxembourg does that as well. So I think, I mean, it's amazing what you found in this like set of things and of, of legislative um massive piece of excel <laughs> um and also really interesting how different around the world countries are thinking like differently around the world countries think about forced marriage where it is thought about at all and obviously there's a nearly three quarters of, of un member states haven't criminalized it at all um which is a big a big gap in the world's legislation i think it's also really interesting regionally like some of those places are quite close to each other and some are not and so kind of thinking through um where there might be influence and i think also we think about when countries constitutional law or criminal codes were written or most recently um, substantially rewritten that's also really interesting and different in terms of like i don't think we're seeing kind of a pattern necessarily there but i guess that'll be something to look at more closely when we do a bit more analysis of, of what the ledger base reveals i thought i mean particularly from i suppose a philosophical perspective i thought this sense in narrow of like dealing with yourself as a slave is, is fascinating um it feeds into all sorts of questions in philosophy about whether you can sell yourself into slavery or not as that's a kind of um by definition void contract or um and where the contract becomes you know void voided or uh, impossible um so that's yeah made me think in terms of the sort of philosophy element of of this project and work that i've been doing already on um what some philosophers have said about about that question but i guess in terms of our main 
research questions. One answer to the question, when, if ever, is forced marriage a form of slavery, is just, if you're in Australia, New Zealand, now we're all Moldova. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, which is already an interesting question, because I think we that we didn't know that before we started this project. And I guess it's a very specific uh, understanding of, of when, isn't it? Uh, um, which is just like, if you are inside a particular geographic location. Though I guess what you're saying from the Australian law is it if you're Australian, because like you were saying they recognise marriages that are were conducted outside of Australia. So if, it, if you've got residency in Australia or something, it would be... So different, I think different countries have different types of jurisdiction. And to be honest, I don't know what Australia has, but it could be that you have to be Australian or you have to be a resident or the crime has to be committed in the country. So those are three options. There are others as well. Mm. So well, yeah, thinking through... I know that's been a thing here in the UK about whether or not we can ratify the Istanbul Convention has been about extrajudicial, extra, yeah, extrajudicial. Um, but that's, yeah, so it's still another interesting question about uh, the way in which things are crimes in different places, depending on what the law recognises as a crime and that kind of an issue about law and we might think about human rights more generally, which is also really interesting. So I guess the broader question is whether you think that the, any of how this crime has been described in legislation or any of how this legislation has been constructed or where it's where forced marriage has been put in the legislation, all those things that you've been talking about, um, do you think that this tells us anything more about why or when we might consider forced marriage a form of modern slavery? Or do you think it just looks like a kind of stipulation by the relevant legislatures and it's one that other legislatures might decide to make in the future or they might not because they've already got codes about it? I think it's a really interesting and also really difficult question. I think one of the limitations of just looking at legislation is that there is so little explanation in it. Sometimes crimes are not even defined in it. Sometimes like I've seen criminal codes where it just says forced marriage is a crime and it carries this particular penalty. But what forced marriage actually is, is not defined in that piece of legislation. The way, so I mean, for us that's great because it opens up um, opportunity for further research and new research projects. And I think there would be really interesting to look at um, the legislative history of the current pieces or, or the discussions behind making those crimes, those those definitions, or, or how they came to be included into the pieces of legislation. And you've mentioned before that even though we can't see a clear geographical pattern, there are some groupings, like geographical groupings. You can see um, Australia, New Zealand, and Nauru, for example, they're close together. And there, countries, if you want, help each other or collaborate on making national law. So um, people from Australia or New Zealand might, or like legal experts, might help Nauru in developing that legislation. So I would be interested to see if we can see similar patterns that might not be absolutely obvious to or, like, yeah, obvious to us now, but maybe there is something to be discovered in looking at those histories or the making of those pieces of legislation. Another way where we could find out more about it is by looking at case law. And there we've discussed this previously, that there is very little case law on forced marriage. But I wonder, for example, if there is more, if it is seen as a form of slavery, if that does something to the number of prosecutions that we see, and then also how it is discussed, how forced marriage is discussed in different contexts. So it would be interesting to look at um, the case law of a country where forced marriage is seen as a form of slavery, look at the numbers and the discussion, um, and then 
look at a country where forced marriage is seen as something else. Um, I think where the legislation gives a definition, I think that gives us some general indication of why or when we might consider forced marriage a form of modern slavery. So, for example, if you look at Australia again, they, um, they emphasize a lack of consent that is caused by coercion, threat or deception of the victim or third party or um, by incapacity, for example, due to age. So we get kind of a little bit more, but still not, okay, what, what, does, what does coercion actually mean? So, yeah, it's still limited. I think. And similarly with Nauru, you get, again, you get this idea that um, a forced marriage is about a marriage without consent. So again, you get kind of this human rights understanding of it. And you, the, the other example, basically, that they give is widow inheritance. But again, they don't kind of explain more of why or when a marriage without consent is a forced marriage or a form of slavery. Consent is a complex thing yeah. as well. When is there consent and when isn't? Um, yeah, and similarly with um, New Zealand, you get the example of the transfer of a wife, as in the 1956 Supplementary Slavery Convention, as an example of a form of forced marriage that is also a form of slavery or a practice similar to slavery, but you don't get m more explanation than that. I thought it was fascinating, actually, what you were saying about Moldova. Because I think we've, we've, I mean, that's the kind of central question, isn't it, of, of the project really is like, given that the, you know, a test for slavery is are the powers associated with the right of property or kind of ownership, sort of control tantamount to possession, but the test of whether a marriage is a forced marriage or not is did both parties give their full and free consent? And obviously you can see that if somebody is exercising powers associated with the right of property or control tantamount to possession over somebody then and use that to make them marry somebody themselves or somebody else then um that would be a way in which they violated consent but I, there's loads more right ways in which consent might be not given freely fully and freely that wouldn't necessarily mean that the other person was um exercising yeah ha holding them in some form of slavery so i guess we're still there it looks like this legislation doesn't doesn't help with that central question like why why would you think that just because not that it's not a crime but that because somebody hasn't consented that puts it under the boundary of slavery whereas actually we we're saying about moldova was they were kind of explaining a bit more about slavery is ownership therefore kind of entering into this kind of marriage seems like it is so i, don't, I just thought that was like maybe one place that i tried to do a bit more of the explaining but i might have also been misunderstanding how much you were saying that moldova had done there in terms of trying to make that connection i think moldova has repeated some of the language from the 1926 slavery convention in their national legislation. So I'm not sure if I would say that they actually explain it more or go beyond it. That they do give um, examples in which, or through examples of how coercion or, 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 or possessive control can come about. But again, it just says, for example, through coercion. Yeah, but what is coercion? Um, threat of violence against whom? Yeah, and by whom? Oh, by yeah, 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 both. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I think yeah, it's really interesting that there's there is this category of servile marriage or three types of 
slavery-like practice that's to do with marriage in the 56 convention which is selling somebody into well, transferring somebody into marriage isn't it without her consent for a seat of value transfer of people inside of a marriage and then the inheritance of widows and again we're seeing like that's kind of obviously cases where you might think people being treated like property and so obviously their consent doesn't matter because the consent of property doesn't matter if you transfer it between people. If I give you my pen, don't have to ask the pen. Um, so kind of adopting that language into national legislations is, is also then limiting which forced marriage is because those are only three kinds and they only talk about women and they very specifically only talk about women in the 56 convention only and it sounds like that gets transferred into some like we can talk about Bulgarian bride bride sale, but not not any concept of husband sale, as it were. Which I think is also interesting about the impacts of that convention through through time. And then I guess it's interesting about where people have tried to broaden out the boundaries of forced marriage. And so they are thinking about it with this more, as you say, human rights approach that is where one person doesn't consent, but they're also trying to cover that um, inside of the uh of this kind of yeah slavery provisions um that i guess the the short answer to one of our questions has been well just the legislation from these four countries it, it shows us that if you live in these four countries then forced marriage is a form of modern slavery that's one way of answering the question but it's not it's not really helping much yet anyway maybe further analysis will help <laughs> to explain why like why we might think that forced marriage is a form of modern slavery one of the things that i think is really interesting when you talk about consent or non-consent to slavery on the one hand we say yes consent is completely irrelevant there people cannot consent to slavery but then you see those like this one weird oh, well, one example that stands out that covers people giving themselves in slavery and then they can consent to it which kind of seems to undermine the whole foundation of that understanding of slavery so i think that is really interesting and the other thing that I wanted to pick up on um, is the question of the victim, if you want. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it other? And I think the legislation there is really interesting because when it picks up those, if you want, traditional forms or the kind of traditionally recognized server forms of marriage, it is pretty... Like it takes that language almost one to one, if not one to one. And then, yes, that is limited to women as the victims. I think a lot of the definitions of forced marriage, whether it is defined as a form of slavery or not, is actually gender neutral. So broader. And that might come with a more human rights understanding of the crime. But I think it is interesting to see then where gender comes in again. So it comes in, for example, in provisions around abduction for marriage. And there it is often that it is women or only women to whom those provisions apply. And then some are very explicit as well that only adults and or only men can perpetrate that crime. Or it is limited to parents as or, or family members as perpetrators. I think that is, is really, really fascinating. And then also fascinating to think about how that shapes our understanding of forced marriage. And then maybe kind of spiraling off that point, I think it's interesting to think about the relationship between kind of law and social, under legal and social understandings of an issue. Is it the law that informs the social understanding or does the social understanding inform the law? And I think it kind of goes both ways probably. Just about to ask you really, it's like, do you think that's an attempt of the law to try and encapsulate 
a practice that's been observed and then we there's questions about the accuracy of the observation i know that's a, a criticism that's already been leveled at the 56 convention as well about who wrote that part of the convention what were they thinking they'd witnessed in a very specific part of africa had they really seen any of those things happening was that just a kind of colonial misunderstanding of what was going on or was it an accurate understanding of what was going on and anyway can you expand that out to the whole world i think it's similar interesting isn't it more generally as well about the law like is it trying to code things that are empirically observable or is it trying to uh make more general claims even if this thing has never happened in this country it mustn't happen because it would be very bad um and i guess there's a question too about whether forced marriage there does both so some of it's a kind of um bringing into domestic legislation human declaration of human rights and kind of human rights law and these may not be rights that are violated or violated in these specific ways in in your country in usually, or ever ever before, but it could also be attempts to kind of do this more kind of bottom-up response to real-world situations. I think it is interesting there that where you see forced marriage or server marriage covered, more often than not, the way the law addresses them is actually pretty similar. So to me, that suggests more like a top-down approach. I also think that just thinking about it that way is maybe also a question about whether that's why there have been so few prosecutions in places, right? Is there is a sense in which this law isn't organic and therefore, like, you know, not just that people don't report it but the police don't notice it or it doesn't get prosecuted. I mean, is it high on anybody's agenda? And that could be the case even where it's very prevalent. But if the law has kind of been imposed, as it were, externally rather than there being a kind of movement inside the country to get the law changed, is that a reason why we don't see all the crimes? And I think thinking about more the international prosecutions, there the argument has often been that forced marriage was not a crime when those things actually happened. So how can you prosecute someone for a wrong that they didn't know was a wrong? And in thinking about national legislation now, if that is the incorporation of forced marriage in whichever form into national legislation is really a top-down prescription, to what extent that has a normative force or like a social engineering yeah i'm not yeah. sure no, yeah no it's fascinating it's a fascinating question more generally isn't it about what the law is and what it's for and how we construct it yeah all questions i don't understand because i'm not a lawyer <laughs> but certainly yeah so from a philosophical perspective it's fascinating um and from a sort of social science background too about yeah construction of what people think wrongs and crimes and harms are which are all all further questions aren't they that we're thinking about in terms of the project so I know you're still coding on the legislation that you found and there are lots of other things that we can learn about the extent to which states are meeting their obligations relating to forced marriage and marriage-related slavery-like institutions and practices when we've gone through that and kind of realised, you know, how people are living up to their international treaty obligations, etc, etc. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having you back on this podcast in the future to talk more about that. Um, but for now, thank you so much again for joining me to talk about that. That was really interesting. And thanks to everybody who's tuned in to listen. Helen is based with the Rights Lab, a University of Nottingham beacon of research excellence. She is an assistant professor in the School of Politics and International Relations. Her forced marriage research is funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council and the Economic and Social Research Council. Please don't forget to subscribe to be notified on upcoming episodes. For more information, please visit our website forcedmarriageresearch.ac.uk Thank you.